Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Boss Podcast. I am Kirk Bailey and this week I am joined by Boss CEO Mark Littlewood and Service Rockets Peter Marquez and Bill Cushard. And today we are finding out how 260 plus Rocketeers are delighting over 4,000 customers with knowledge, cadence, processes, and no bullshit building software ecosystems. Happy listening. So hello, everybody. I'm Mark Littlewood, and welcome to the Business of Software podcast. Uh, We had our third online uh, BOSS conference last week, BOSS conference spring 21, and uh, it was a fabulous time. Some great speakers, some amazing people and uh, actually one of the highlights for a lot of people were the breakout sessions that we had and uh, so many of them were good that we thought that we would uh, bring some of the people involved in uh, for some sessions to uh, help share some ideas and some knowledge and some love to the people that uh, sadly weren't able to be there so um, today I'm joined uh, by the um, great guys at Service Rocket, Bill Cushard and Peter Marquez. So, um, hi, people. Hey, how are you? Hey there. Um, very nice to see you. Very nice to see you. And thank you very much for uh, doing the, the breakout. I know there were a couple of people um, who came back to us and, and said very specifically how helpful um, it was. It was a conversation and a, and a Q&A session around software ecosystems but uh, we all know what we're uh, all know what we're talking about and um, I'd love to pick up on some of the things that uh, you talked about in those um, sessions but uh, before I do that I'd love to get a little bit of uh, background on you people and Service Rocket because we like to know what uh, who the people are and what makes them tick. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm Peter Marquez, and uh, I'm the GM at Service Rocket, responsible for managed services and also our uh, apps product line. And been with the company for about six years, and um, my background has been in products and software for quite some time. And um, going back to the old Borland days, if I can say that. Wow. Uh, but a lot of my time has been spent with uh, distributed systems. Um, and uh, web services and building uh, applications and platforms that enable uh, people to extend what they do around uh, software and technology. Yeah, we're a tech-enabled services company and we help companies uh, build and extend their ecosystems. Uh, And at the same time, our real core mission is to help them uh, increase software adoption and make sure that their customers get the most value out of their software. Great. And Bill, you've got a you've got a yes. face for TV, but a voice for radio, I have to say. I think it might be the opposite, Mark, let's <laughs> be honest. So I, I'm Bill Cashard. I am a general manager at Service Rocket. My particular specialty is customer education and helping software companies create their customer and partner enablement programs to help people learn products and, and all that. So um, 
we work with software companies uh, at all stages of that journey, right? Starting from scratch when a customer says, hey, we have nothing and customers are begging for training and we have nothing help us to, uh, hey, we need help with our growing our program to the next level. You know, how can you help us do that? So that's what we do. And I've been at Service Rocket seven years. Uh, Service Rocket helps software get adopted. So we help software companies get their software out to customers. We do that with education and support and professional services and apps. That's one way we do that. We help the enterprise software buyer deploy the software, learn how to use it, implement it properly so that they can get the most out of their investment in software. So that's what we do. Yeah. We find ourselves, we find ourselves helping companies, um, you know, with their software adoption. Uh, And if you think about the old Jeffrey Moore model, you know, crossing that chasm from those innovators and early adopters to that early majority. And that's where we really focus to make a difference in the life cycle uh, of our customers. Yeah. So we've known Service Rocket for a long time. And uh, Rob, your founder, used to um, come still. I mean, he came came last week, but uh, he's been he's been coming for a long time. Uh, Can you give us a 30 seconds on where you came from, how, how you started. It was all a bit accidental, wasn't it? But uh, it's turned out all right. I think so. Uh, Bill, you want to tell that story or would you rather I do? Uh, well, I, I, because of the education part, I'll start. So Rob started the company in Sydney in 2001. So we've been around a long time. He started teaching training courses, basically. So his background is in software engineering and then support for software and he found this niche where he was good at being the intermediary between the technical people who were building the software and the normal people like me who had to use it and so um, that's how he got into support he could bridge the the gap there and then he started teaching classes people didn't know how to use the software you know, when, when a big company bought it and rolled it out to the entire team, it was a challenge to get everyone to learn how to use it and all that. So that's how we started. And then pretty soon he had two classes to teach at the same time. So we hired one person to teach the other class as he was teaching this one. And from there, it grew into a, a business where we were helping in education. We were helping in support. We started building apps to connect different software packages together. And then, then there's implement, there's professional services. People need help with configurations and migrations and setups. And so you can imagine this evolution of a company that says, we can help you with that software you just bought, right? Or if you're a software company, we can help you help your customers with the software they just bought from you in, in these ways, right? So that's, how, that's, wow. that's the genesis of the company. Um, and how many people are you now and where are you based? Well, we're around uh, 250 people, and we have offices, obviously, in Sydney when we started, Kuala Lumpur, Santiago, Chile. We're headquartered today in Palo Alto, and we have offices in London, uh, Boston, Singapore, and our latest office is in uh, Bangalore, in India. Wow. That's pretty much my hit list of places to go on pretend business trips that are really holidays, but... um... That's another story. Uh, maybe you should uh, hire us to come in and do some walk-arounds of your offices or something for no particular reason. Kirk, do you want to come? Um, so, um, ecosystems. So, when you say ecosystems, people think 
our platforms. So let's start with the first question. What's the difference between an ecosystem and a platform? Ooh, such a, such a good question. Um, and it's one that I think is so important people understand as they get started. Um, if you think about your software product, you know, that is the thing, that's your unique value proposition, the thing you're building, the thing you're passionate about. Um, for you to have an ecosystem, you need to have a platform to support that. And that's usually some type of extensible code base, or it could be a services uh, framework, uh, but basically something that allows your software to interact with others in one form or fashion. And that gives you your platform. Once you have a platform, then you can create an ecosystem because your ecosystem is your product, your platform, plus actors. And those actors uh, can be internal or external, but the ecosystem is the composite of the product, the platform, the actors creating value. Interesting. And it, everyone has this idea of platforms being these incredible things that Facebook does and the output is that you have millions of developers all around the world making money for you. Um, I'm slightly kind of paraphrasing the, um, the situation. And, and there has been a, a sense that to, to do that successfully, you have to do it at a very, very significant scale. Is that, in your view, true? Um, is there a point where you shouldn't even think about developing your ecosystem or, or um, how do you, how do you sort of think about this? Not at all. Actually, um, we believe everybody has an ecosystem, you know, and Bill was describing, you know, our journey from a training company. We started filling roles for companies um, in their ecosystems without them realizing that they had one. Because as it turns out, that unique value proposition, the, the software that you create, the reason you're passionate to be in business, that's what you're all about. That's the thing. That's what we have, you know, the business to software conference. It's about that passion. But everything else is just support for that. And those things become your ecosystem. So, you know, you actually need to have support, documentation, customer success, sales. Um, implementation, all those things that your passionate, um, plat, excuse me, your passionate product requires, uh, you need to have those things. And that becomes your internal ecosystem. So everyone has an ecosystem of some sort. Um, we tend to think of the big platforms because they have the extended ecosystem, mm. so many players and, and hundreds of, of developers and independent consultants and those who are creating value around the product itself but we all have an ecosystem okay great so uh, before i can dig into what an ecosystem is and i think you talk about four very distinct parts of an ecosystem which uh, i'd love to talk about let's get the, the the real money question what's the point this is a lot of effort to build this thing. What is the point of investing your time and effort and energy in an ecosystem? Yeah. Well, um, I think if you look at what's the hardest thing to do, there are two things that are really hard to do in software. I tell people this all the time. Um, one is building product and the other is getting customers. And those two things are really hard to do. If you can master those, you're going to be a success. 
And anything that makes those easier, um, whether it's getting customers or keeping customers, those are things you want to do. And an ecosystem is fantastic because uh, a well-run ecosystem will help you um, increase your time to market, um, uh, speed up your, your uh, product roadmaps. Uh, it'll allow you to scale better. And most importantly, it allows you to stay focused on your, your mission, on that, on that unique value proposition. Because there's so many demands that customers have on entrepreneurs today. And they ask their software to do so many things, which, which may be outside the scope of that unique value proposition, at least at the moment. And so here's the big benefit. I can stay focused on my, on my mission, but maybe other aspects of my ecosystem can actually fulfill the needs of my customer, make them um, better attached, improve the stickiness to my platform, uh, improve the value they get from my platform and from my software, uh, but without my having to uh, interrupt, you know, and, and take my focus somewhere else, you know, away from my, my plan. Uh, great. Now, Bill, I know that um, you're a, a great reader and listener and thinker on management theories of uh, all sorts of um, types. And uh, as this is audio, people won't be able to see that you've got the uh, Invincible Company book there in the background, which um, yes. is uh, uh, you know, a, a, a really interesting one. I guess one of the things that ecosystems can do is help build a competitive moat in a way that uh, your technology uh, can't. Is that, a, is that a fair comment? And, and can you give me some examples of organizations that have been able to build a defensible position strategically by developing an ecosystem? Yeah, I actually could give two examples that are different strategies that accomplish the same thing. And what they also do is talk about what Peter just said. It's like these things help the growing of that company and at the same time build the moat. So Cloudera is a good example. Um, very early on, they made a decision to hire and build an education function to get the word out, right? Who knows what Hadoop is in 2009? Like nobody, right? So you can imagine your sales team trying to sell into organizations when they don't even know what this thing is, right? So that's a challenge. So before they built a marketing team, before they built customer success, it was education. They used that to, to replace marketing and to replace customer success. Because if you're in a classroom with 30 people every single week and you're talking about your brand and your product and the technology, what they could do with it, education can accomplish all of those things. So um, th this is a reason why a lot of companies go out and get a partner network because training is one way to have a partner go out if you can train them right and certify them right to go out into the world and tell the world, hey, there's this new thing, it's important, and this is how you should use it. So, um, and, and Cloudera charged big premium prices for those courses, right? Everybody wanted to be a data scientist, and so we're willing to pay $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 a day to get certified in Hadoop and data science management and all that stuff, right? So they had this multiplier effect, right, that, that extended and really grew their business, right? Now, another example, and so who else is, is Hortonworks going to compete with that, with their online videos? Probably not. And Cloudera acquired Hortonworks, right? So not that I'm making a causation argument there, but you can imagine the, <laughs> although I kind of am, um, 
Now, HubSpot is another example, right? Darmesh has been at the conference numerous times, right? So I'll tell yeah, Darmesh. Yeah, the Hub, sorry. Now, they created something called inbound marketing. They invented the term. They wrote a book on it. They created the inbound marketing certification. It was totally free. Anybody could do it. You didn't have to be a customer. And marketing people clamored to get that certification and then to get the book and then to show up at the inbound conference. So everything they did was to educate the world on this thing that they, quote, invented called inbound marketing. And now who's going to compete with that? Who else does inbound marketing like HubSpot does? Marketo tried, and then they got acquired, and they went by private equity, and then they got folded into Adobe, and so they like disappeared into the ether is, is my argument, right? And HubSpot <laughs> is succeeding largely because they went out into the world and created this um, – I don't know, category or topic or whatever you want to call it, and then educate. Now, they built it internally. They didn't go out and hire partners and all that um, to do the education part. But um, still, they went out with this thing beyond the core product called education to tell the world what this thing is. Yeah. And in the process, they built an amazing ecosystem just around a concept of inbound marketing. Yeah. How many books are there? How many speakers are there? How many people are making a living today promoting and educating people on how to do that properly? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, then, and since they have built a, quite an extensive partner network you know, to do the HubSpot work for you, like your agency, your HubSpot agency, for example. So, yeah, they, they've really extended that out. Really good, uh, really good example. Is there a – so those are – Facebook level, um, which is great because whatever it's Facebook. Um, and I mean, when you get to a certain size, everything is you know you are the you are the exception. Couple of couple of examples of, of smaller businesses that have really you know that you're seeing at the moment that are really accelerating that that process and, and building an ecosystem that's making uh, making a difference. Companies with, I don't know, less than a couple of hundred people, say. I can give one example. Peter, I'll tell the, the Nginx example. Sure. Um, okay, so, you know, when Nginx was, you know, Nginx became the web server of choice, right? And they were 13 people, and Igor was, you know, running the thing. And they were 13 people, and Instagram was using Nginx to power all the videos, and, the, and they were 40% of the world's web traffic. And they're 13 people, um, right? Because it's an open source project and all that. So the, they had hired a CEO and the CEO came to us and said, I have 12 problems. Education is number 12 and I need you to handle it, right? So they had com big companies, Fortune, Global, 500 companies coming to them saying, help us in install the Nginx server so we know how to use it. This is different than an individual yeah. early adopter visionary tinkering all night long, figuring it out. This is someone who works at a global 500 at Telefonica or whatever mm. they need help. And so 13 people, a 13 person company can't help because they're all engineers, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're not going to help people figure out how to implement this thing, right? Server yeah. side load balancing. That's crazy. Software load balance. You can't do that. And so the concept, so we help them build the training to help organizations that were larger. So the customers of late adopters or early majority kind of companies on the, on the adoption curve 
uh, learn this thing. And training, they thought, was the most effective way they could do it. Plus, customers start asking, Will you, are you going to train us when we buy this thing from you? And they just said they have no answer for that because they haven't built that service. That's just one example. That's 13 employees when they started with this one little thing called, let's do a training course once a week and have somebody help us do that. It's a really great yeah. example. Okay. I can add one other uh, example, actually in a different space. Um, and this has to do more with apps. And there are a couple of reasons why uh, a smaller company would want to uh, enable partners and, and vendors to create applications that extend their product. Um, the first can be just what's a, kind of a slipstream model. You know, you're building your ecosystem, but maybe by integrating into another ecosystem, you can actually enhance yours. And so um, we've worked with a company called Venify. They are a machine identity uh, company. And um, they realized for them to get where they needed to be, uh, machine identity and that kind of certificate management needed to be done in a self-service uh, model. And the best place for them to do that was in conjunction with uh, Jira and the Atlassian ecosystem. And so for them to extend and build out the growth of their uh, ecosystem and to make their product more useful, uh, it was a really important play for them to uh, integrate with, uh, with Jira. And so we've helped, we helped them do that uh, just recently. And so it's been um, one of those examples about how you can actually build your company by leveraging other ecosystems. Um, another example is uh, I was reading uh, an analyst talking about a, um, a competitor of Jira's, I won't mention them right now, um, and said, hey, it's a very nice company, they're doing some interesting things, but they're not gonna achieve the growth they need to as long as they're building everything for their platform. Uh, and, and they said, specifically the analyst said, until they adopt a model like Atlassian's, where they have vendors who are building value uh, that they don't have to, they're not going to get um, the growth that they really want to achieve. And so this is another example of how enabling your partners to extend your application, extend the value you create is so important. You know, I, I want to add to that because there's a perspective here where a software company could say, well, then why don't we just build the apps on, let's say, an, our, our own, quote, marketplace, right, um, mm -hmm. rather than having these external partners do it because, you know, the build buy thing is sort of a debate that software companies have. So the argument against doing it yourself is if you build the app and put it on your app marketplace, customers will assume it's you just building more features. And so why are you charging me for that? Right. But if a third party builds an app on your quote platform and you certify it as something that extends the product, like let's say into Jira or whatever, then you can not only sell that and share that revenue with the third party, but there's a legitimacy and a credibility to a third party wanting to build something on top of that. And, oh, con connect to NetSuite? Whoa, I, I have NetSuite. I should probably do something like that. And I, it's probably worth $10 to pay. And it's not just an extra feature. It's, it's extending the product totally. Okay, so ecosystems, what are, the, what are the key things you need to think about when you're thinking about planning them, building them, developing them? Yeah, I think one of the first things that um, entrepreneurs need to think about are the drivers. You know, what are the drivers doing this? And we've talked a bit about 
um, your unique value proposition and your mission and what you want to do. But as you grow as a company, as you acquire more customers, uh, customer demand really increases. And, and we like to think of customer demand actually as having four different dynamics. You know, one is one of capacity, um, uh, and the other is scale, one is trust, and one is scope. And each one is important, you know. Um, whether it is, hey, can my platform scale to support the number of customers that I have? You know, or I need to support more data, or is that the capacity of my my infrastructure and my team? Can we can we handle this many people? Can we bring the services that they need? Um, what is the scope of the product? What do we do? Um, there's a limit on what we plan to do because that's our that's our roadmap, that's our mission. But customer demand can really really extend the scope as we know. And then the final one mm. is trust. You know, security. Um, the viability of the platform, the, the 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 governance that people need to have confidence that they can they can trust you know what you're bringing to market. So those things those demands really grow very very quickly uh, as you grow as a company, and you have to make some tough decisions because hey I want to keep this customer if they say my app should do five things we never imagined it should do we have to decide hey is that going to be valuable for the audience the the customer I imagine that we're building this product for in the future. Um, or do I just build this right now because I need this customer? So that's the first one. And that is, you know, understanding the dynamics of customer demand uh, and determining what it is that you know you want to build and that you need to build for your platform and understand what can I actually build an ecosystem or allow an ecosystem to build for my customers. Does that make sense as a, as a, as a starting yeah, point? Yeah, I think that's, that's, Interesting, and there are quite a lot of different elements there that um, fit together. My sense is that most organisations have done some of this stuff, not necessarily by saying our strategy is, this is stuff that kind of happens and accretes in the business. And quite a lot of it will probably feel like a cost centre somehow, um, or something that you've got to uh, support. and. I guess there's, there's two questions. Is there a right time to think about your ecosystem in a in a in a planned way, um, or and and if you are going to do it and build it, do you have to build all of these pieces at the same time? Is there a way that works? Yeah, I think the story that Bill told uh, about Rob is is really uh, telling because. You don't have to build everything at once and you don't have to design your entire ecosystem at once. It actually should be agile and dynamic and respond to needs. And that's why you have, that's why you enable partners, uh, enable parts of your ecosystem to actually be responsive uh, because uh, you're not sure, you can't read the future. You don't know what customers are gonna ask for uh, exactly, but you can be prepared for it. Okay, so if you're, should you, if you're, if you're, if you want to build one and you've got a few of the prototype elements of some of these pieces, is there a place that you should start? How would you advise companies thinking about building their own, um, building their own ecosystem to, to get going? What's the, what's the, well, 
I think the first thing is to map your existing ecosystem. As we talked before, um, you have your internal and you have your external. Uh, and understand what you have, understand what you're currently doing and what the capacity is for you currently have with your internal ecosystem. You know, what are the limits you have uh, and uh, what are the capabilities you may need in the future? So for instance, with support, um, you have the team you need today and you have the means to grow it and to keep the people you need and uh, train them so they can meet your customer demand. Uh, implementation is a difficult because they have to figure out, uh, I'm a product company, but how much services should I do? And what am I currently mm. doing? And at what point does adding more services impact my valuation? You know, those are things you have to sort of consider. Uh, but do that assessment of what you have as, as far as your internal ecosystem. And then even if people think they don't have an external ecosystem, they probably do because they at least have customers and those are actors in your ecosystem. And among those customers, you have advocates and those advocates are part of your ecosystem as well. And That's so right. that taking that into account is a great first step. Uh, and then understanding where are those demands we just talked about? What are the most pressing demands? As Bill said from, from Nginx, you know, I've got 13 problems, you know, here's one of them. Which one is the one that we believe we can enable others to help us with and identify which one mm. that is? That's where you can start. So I'm interested. You know, sorry, Bill. I, I want to add something that's um, that's interesting. Uh, you know, we have a model for helping software companies think through this, right? And so, Mark, to also address your question, how do I think about this? Where do I start? What do I do? I mean, everyone listening has probably read "Crossing the Chasm" and know who Jeffrey Moore is and that whole thing. So if you know. The fact that you don't have to design your entire ecosystem up front and know what you're going to do, what you can do is, you know, look up the that whole product thinking and Jeffrey Moore, just Google that, look at that wheel and just think to yourself, these are possible things that have to surround my core product that someday I may or may not need that customers are going to start to demand. Like what mm. Peter was talking about earlier. It's like, oh, maybe I will need some applications on my Thing. Maybe I will need support help. Maybe I will need services. And it may not happen, but if you're building your core product for a certain segment of customers, a certain persona, you sort of know in some sense the problem you're solving. And then you haven't thought about these other things around this wheel. So you could at least anticipate what may come in two years. And then when it does happen and a customer asks for something, you can go back to what Peter's method was like, okay, let's prioritize this. What's our capacity? Should we be doing this? Should we do it internally? Should we do it externally? And then you're, you're ready for that. And it's not a total surprise that yeah. someone called and says, send your best trainer out to us for a four day thing for my management team that which you weren't ready for. So that's just a simple way of just looking ahead of what things might yeah, be. That's, 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 that's helpful. That's interesting. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about customer support, because this is something that oh, there are so many orthodoxies around customer support, and this is absolutely the way you've got to do it. And it used to be a huge cost to the business. And then people realized actually it was a very good way of um, creating value for the business. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, relatively um, young but growing SaaS companies would look at customer support as being one of their secret 
sources. Uh, it's something that they want to kind of keep internally because it becomes helpful to them. So we've moved from this stuff is a pain and it costs us money to actually this stuff is great and it's really helping us move forward. And we've got to kind of keep that in-house because it's one of our kind of key differentiators. How do you how do you scale that? Because again, this is something that I hear from a lot of people. They've got a really successful company of a certain size, but they can't go to that next level. And the obvious things that they're concerned about do fill in, fall, fall into this ecosystem piece. It's how do you get how do you go from two customer support to 20 customer support to, to beyond as you grow and keep the quality? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, um, Bill can tell you some good stories about the importance of uh, customer support and that part of customer services. It's so critical. Um, and if we just map that out, we know that's that's the, an internal ecosystem, that, that idea of support. And uh, for those of us who are really focused on customer experience, we know that it's not a cost center. It actually is a way to drive business. It is actually a way to grow net retention. There's a way to create advocates and actually grow your business. And so it's extremely important, extremely important. And it's a, it's kind of a false dichotomy when people say, well, you have to sort of look at efficiency versus customer experience. You know, customer experience itself is a tool for greater efficiency. So totally on board with that. But your question is real because um, how do you scale that? Um, because mm. Uh, you may get to a point where your demand is such that it's very hard to find talent. It's very hard to keep talent. Um, it's very hard to provide services 24 seven. It's a big world. You have customers all over the world now. And so the costs models and the sophistication required to run an international support organization may not be what you want to focus on. You know, it may not be the business you want to be in, mm. uh, you know, so, that's where you have to make that choice to say, can I find a partner who can extend my capabilities? I don't want to change my culture. I don't want to not be my company, uh, but I need to be able to uh, provide better service and more touch points for our customers so I can create those advocates for customer support. Mm. And, and that's where um, looking for a partner who can actually um, allow people to be part of your culture and be part of uh, your commitment and, and your promise to your customer uh, is so important. I agree. Bill, do you have anything to, to add? Uh, Mark, you made a, a comment in your question about some you know, SaaS startups think that support is a really core part of what makes them successful, right? They invest in it. It's part of what they do. If, if we go back to the older days, you might argue Microsoft Office, the success was on Clippy and the help files. And without that, no one would have ever learned how to do anything but bullet points and bold. And this is, and so when, you, when we talk about support, there is the tickets and the responding to customers, but there's also the support around that, which is documentation, which mm. is uh, education. You know, our, Rob, our CEO says that you know, training is support before the customers need it, right? Because it's more proactive. You try to get ahead of the support. Um, but support could also be, 
uh, open source software companies do this really well, where there are people out in the world doing YouTube videos, showing off their Hadoop skills. And so can you cultivate these people? So, you know, ecosystem can mean a lot of things. It could mean go out yeah. to these, these, these people in the world that want to show off, hey, look what I can do with this software. I could and ha- help them, right? Help them with their YouTube channels. I mean, I'm kind of going off the top yeah. a little bit, but in a sense, support means a lot of things. It means your documentation. It means your support team. Do you need a partner for that or not? Can you cover 24 seven? What about a training team? Can we prevent all these support tickets from coming in because we trained everybody perfectly? Uh, or can we go out and help people make YouTube videos on how, can we get a, a channel on Stack Overflow because our software fits there? I don't know. There's, it's a lot to think about. And you sort of, and like Peter was talking about, now, now it's a matter of trade-offs and making decisions. Which do we do? Which do we not? Et cetera. So, um, Clippy, we're bringing. We're, we should bring back Clippy. Microsoft. Don't <laughs> say Clippy. Clippy yes. never goes away. Um, right. Does he? Bless him. Um, it's amazing that I mean, people still talk about it. Um, so, mistakes, errors. So. I guess there's a couple of ways of, of uh, looking at this because it's all very well looking at how people do things and they're very successful, but uh, it's far less entertaining and far less educational than looking at how people do things that go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, what are the what are the kind of big mistakes people make when they try and kind of build an ecosystem and and what are the assumptions that they make that uh, they really need to to look at? Yeah, I think there there are two things that come to mind for me immediately. Uh, the first one we've touched on it already, and that is determining what's yours, what you hold close to your heart, uh, and this is part of my business, and what do I enable the ecosystem to actually extend and and build upon. And um, that's a critical that's a critical choice that has to be made up front because that determines where people can play, and it determines where you see your product going. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than having uh, partners building out technology or services that um, you know that you need to build for yourself, uh, and that you just may not have to, it may not be in your roadmap immediately, but um, you know that needs to be something that you do. So that's that's one. Uh, the other big one is, is, is governance. We talked about trust a minute ago. Um, anyone in your ecosystem uh, is really an extension of your brand. And the people that you choose to work with, you have to trust implicitly. And beyond trust, you need to have some form of governance to make sure that they are not going to um, you know, besmirch or damage uh, mm. your relationship with your customer because of something that a partner did. And so that's really, really critical. Um, and it's something that requires some thought. Um, and also uh, it's, it's really a, a deep and important part of, of being a leader, making those judgment calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the things we are going to guard against? You know, um, And they all have impact. It, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think, you know, there is this quite scary thing about taking the things that you feel are really important and finding different ways to, to do them. I know you've mentioned Jeffrey Moore in this uh, conversation and, and uh, actually he spoke in Boss 
2009 and the talk is on the podcast and it was actually very specifically about what is context what is core and um, so you can uh, if you're interested pick that one up on the uh, podcast and and yeah he makes those those really interesting um distinctions and gives people a framework to to think about it and uh make think, make decisions because yeah, yeah. i have one point there and that is um ecosystems are dynamic and and honesty is really important we have a really great relationship with facebook and uh, work a lot on their workplace platform and um we del delivered an application um, for Workplace that um, they knew that in two years they would implement their own version of, but mm. they really needed to have uh, um, a way to provide um, their users with a way to communicate with their um, with the end users um, when there was an emergency. And we were able to build that technology, bring it to market, have it. Uh, be adopted uh, by many users, uh, understanding that in two years, uh, they were gonna have their own replacement technology, which they built into the platform. And we understood that and we said, great, you know, we see the value in getting to know customers, delivering the service now, we felt it was really important to the community and we made that investment, but they were honest with us and we were able to actually uh, build something that delivered value for customers, knowing that they would build their own uh, in the future. Mm. Oh, those are hard decisions from perspective of growing your organization as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Um, any things you'd like to leave us with? And I, I have a bit of a suggestion because I, I see whether you're up, you're up for this, but I'd love to um, bring a couple of people that were involved in the breakout session at Boss back up for uh, another session at some point, maybe kind of um, give them a bit of time to take some of the stuff that they've learned and took on board. Cause I know, uh, two of them had said to me in particular, this has inspired me to go and do this, that, and the other. Um, so maybe we should go and get them on and uh, find out what they've done and mark their homework and, um, uh, see, see how that, um, see how that works. But, uh, and, and yeah, I think this whole, uh, concept of building successful ecosystems is, is super important there are obviously different ways of doing it and some organizations have done a fantastic job of doing something on their uh, on their on their own i think equally other organizations are finding as you say you work out what your core uh, piece is and what's really important to you and what really does make the difference and as SaaS as a business gets increasingly complicated the things that were amazing 10 years ago um, were table stakes five years ago and then mm -hmm. they become commodities, right? So um, all of this is all of this is changing. And I think people's people's approach to things is uh, is changing as well. So um, I, if you're up for up for having uh, that sort of conversation, love to love to invite you back. Sounds great. Sounds great. I actually have a couple of takeaway bullets. So if they're listening, you can actually give them some homework. That's great. Who knows if they're listening? I, I will <laughs> if I go around to their house. Um, yeah. I, can't think, I can't think of a more valuable podcast than to get a couple of attendees who in that session and talk through 
all the questions that, you, that one has in a session that you're enjoying, like, oh, how do I, wait, what does that mean exactly? How does that, we were thinking of doing this way. Is that wrong? Well, yeah. And, and just to working through that and to have people yeah. listen to others work through that is, that's a nine out of 10 in value, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, so I, I find that with the masterclasses and the workshops that we do, that you get a group of people in and they've all got, they've all got these incredibly big individual serious problems that are completely and utterly unique to them but once you start to get people to explain what those challenges are and you give them some frameworks they'll either start asking questions and go ah I'm now asking the question in a different way and I know what the answer is (laughs) Um, or you start to see other people's problems as really obvious um, and that starts to abstract into your own your own thinking as well. So no, big 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 fan of, uh, of of that approach. So yeah, let's do that. What are your bullet points to leave people with? Okay, first one is determine what existing ecosystem assets uh, they already have because everybody has something. So let's start with that. Uh, then I think the other thing that's important we just mentioned is let's identify the use cases that belong to the application and to the business. And, and those that can be left to the ecosystem. Um, of course, it's important to just have a, an accounting of your internal and external uh, ecosystem components. Um, I think at that point, they can start to prioritize what's most important to the growth of their business at this stage of their business. And if they understand that, that'll have some implications on where they go with their ecosystem. You know, and then finally, uh, just to think about, you know, what's the value exchange between you and your ecosystem participants? You know, what do you want that relationship to look like? And, and why will those participants come and participate in your ecosystem? How about that? That's great. That's great. Really, really helpful. And I think been really, really illuminating. Uh, I, I must say I've sort of, learned a lot which I always I'm coming from a very low base but um so many good things to to think about and I think you know the other thing there is helping uh, give me some kind of understanding of a framework to think about things is incredibly helpful because you always hang your own um your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own context uh on that but uh really uh very very helpful so Uh, Thank you very much indeed for um, coming in and taking part in um, the BOSS podcast. Um, uh, Bill Cochard, uh, Peter Marquez, um, representing two sides of uh, the US today um, from Service Rocket. Thank you very, very much indeed. And if people want to learn more about us, they can contact us at servicerocket.com. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.